The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. You can go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3 and I will get there in just a moment. I was told that I need to do something before I start preaching because they said if I don't show you my shirt that you're going to be working a crossword puzzle trying to figure out what my shirt says while the uh, while I'm preaching. Uh, So I'm going to show you the hidden letters. So I don't really know what it says, but (laughs) I'm just joking. All right. So everybody's got that now. So you're not going to be paying attention to that while I'm I'm preaching. Today, I want to continue our series that I've been talking about on the church. If you remember just several weeks ago now, our our first message in this series, we were reminded that we, the people of Christ, are the church. Amen? The church is not mortar and bricks, but we, the people of God, are the church of God. And we are built upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus, the foundation of the word of God. So we talked about that week one and in week two, we were challenged as the people of God to be waiting with great anticipation for Jesus return. All right. His return is imminent. How many just believe that he could come at any time that ought to delight your heart today if you're ready. And we talked about this, that the the waiting that we are called to do as children of God is not a sitting back, twiddling our thumbs, sitting on the couch with a bag of Cheetos and our feet propped up, binge watching Netflix, just waiting for Jesus to come. No, we are to I, I just stepped on some toes right there. We are to wait in action. We are to be preparing our own hearts for the return of the Lord and we're to be spreading the gospel to others that they may too be prepared. And today I want to speak about another aspect of the church, namely that the church, we, the church are supposed to be distinct from the world. We are supposed to be distinct from the world. It's very interesting. I had this message prepared about three or four weeks ago, and you may remember I just completely changed my message when I got up here to preach. I felt like I needed to hold off on this. And here's what's crazy. I attended this gospel conference this weekend in Louisville in which unbeknownst to me, the subject was the theme that I'm preaching on today being distinct from the world was the subject of the entire conference. And I just want to say, I'm going to preach this message a lot more heartfeltly today with even greater fervency than I would have a few weeks ago. Isn't God awesome how he just orchestrates these things? In John 17, verse 15, and this, I'm just going to read this quickly. Jesus is praying what we call his priestly prayer. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for us, which I think is radical. Just awesome. And here's what he says as he's praying to the father. He says, I do not ask that you take them talking about his disciples. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he prays this, sanctify them in the truth. Now, sanctify means to set apart. So Jesus is praying, Lord, don't take the disciples out of the world. And then here's what he says. Your word is truth. So how are we sanctified? By Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by God the Father, and by his precious word. That's the means by which we're sanctified. As you sent me, Jesus says, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate, set apart myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So you and I are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We are to stand out distinctly from the world. Can I get an amen? 
We are not to be like the world in action, in attitude, in belief, in behavior. We are to be a distinct people. And that's what I want to talk about today. And it's important, I think, that we preach on this because the distinction seems to be getting less and less between the church and the world. Have you noticed? But before I get started, this is a subject that's often misunderstood when we talk about sanctification or holiness. And so I want to just give a few caveats before I get started. Number one, moralism is not Christianity. Moralism is not Christianity. These actions and attitudes that we're going to address today will not save you. Because our righteousness, even our best actions apart from Jesus, cannot earn us salvation. So these works that the Holy Spirit helps us do in our life, the fruit that we bear, they are not the means of salvation But they are the evidence of salvation. An apple tree will eventually bear apples. And a Christian will eventually bear Christian fruit. All right. The the fruit is not the means of salvation, but it's the one of the evidences of salvation. And I tell you that because I, if you're in here today and you don't know Christ, I do not want you to say, well, I've got to clean myself up and then come to Jesus. Because if you try, friend, to clean yourself up before you come to Christ, you know what? You'll never come to Christ because you cannot do it. Second caveat. It is only by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit That we can truly live distinctly from the world. Again, we're saved by grace through faith and we're sanctified. In other words, made more like Jesus by grace through faith. You remember this verse, I'm sure, from Galatians 3.13. Are you so foolish, Paul writes, the Galatians, having been gone by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you're saved by grace through faith and you are set apart by grace through faith. However, I want you to hear me clearly. We still have personal responsibility in this process of sanctification. Philippians 2.12, Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Watch what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, does this contradict everything that we have preached, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone? Absolutely not. Here is what this means. We are to work outwardly what God works inwardly. Our actions are are an overflow of what God has done by grace through faith in our hearts. So here's what I want you to know. The Christian life is not passive. Some people want Jesus to do everything for them. And in salvation, he's done that. But he has now, by his spirit, given you great responsibility. Third caveat. Here it is. This is an important one. You know, much of the church now loosens the law. They don't call sin, sin. But you know something else, friends, that we have to stay clear of? We've got to be careful that we do not tighten the law. This is what legalists do. All right? The Ten Commandments serve as a great starting point. You want to know how to please the Lord, how to live a sanctified life? Start with the Ten Commandments. Nine of the ten of them, all but the Sabbath, are repeated as commands in the New Testament. So we know that they fall under the law of Christ. And if you remember back to our study on Galatians, we are not under the law, but the law is under us. You know the really good news now? This is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Within the package of our salvation, the law is now written on our hearts. So we we don't have to walk around with stone tablets. The law of God is on our hearts. But here's what we have to be careful about. You and I need to make sure that we are not putting people under rules and obligations that God does not put them under. And the church is notorious for doing this across several denominations. You know what happens? When, here's what we do. We tend to put people back under the ceremonial law. We try to add rules and regulations that in our culture we call sin. But the Bible does not address. And we call these matters of conscience. If you can do these with a clear uh, mind, if as long as it doesn't go against the word of God, 
you do them. If you're convicted, do not do them. But don't put somebody else under your convictions. Because legalism is this. When you demand that others follow your convictions outside of the word of God. I'm talking now. I'm not talking about clear black and white sin. Follow that whether you feel it or not. But I'm talking about the tightening of the law. That's what the Pharisees did. And nobody could live up to those standards. And I see this in the church all the time. It's preached fire and brimstone all the time. And not just according to the word of God, but added and added and added rules, rules, rules. You better not do this. You better not do this. You better not go here. You better not watch. And it's over and over and over. And what happens is people feel like they can never, ever, ever Meet the standard that's set before them and they get frustrated and they want to just throw in the towel. It's frustrating. So we've got to be careful not to tighten the law and please don't loosen the law either. This is a church where we call sin, sin, but we're not going to put rules on you that the Bible does not put on you. Does that make sense? All right. That being said, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word. Colossians chapter 3. If you have it, say amen. And I love the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, These put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I was in uh, high school, I could tell a lot about a person and presumably the family in which they came from by the clothing that we wear. Now, these Lines seem to be a little bit blurred today when I drop my son off at high school. It's a little bit different. But in my day, there was clearly a difference what class of people or what your interests were by the clothes that you wore. All right. Anybody remember those days? If you had a polo polo emblem on your shirt, you were a preppy kid, presumably from a well-to-do family. And in my day. You were supposed to have a guess that remember that little question mark guest symbol on your blue jeans. How many had a pair of guest jeans growing up? You have arrived, baby, if you have a pair of guest jeans back in the day, especially with a polo shirt. Then you had the rednecks. Come on, somebody. Wrangler blue jeans and cowboy boots. I got to know some of them. I'm like, 
And you, you grew up like in the city. Why are you wearing cowboy boots and Wrangler blue jeans? And then you had the hippies. You had a, the hippies, they wore tie-dyed shirts, usually with an, some Grateful Dead emblem on them. And the bumper sticker on their car to go with it. Usually long, messy hair. You could tell a lot about a person by their clothes. As a matter of fact, you, this may shock you if you've been here a while, it won't. But um, I, I was I was a little bit rebellious. That part better shock you. But uh, in my teenage years, I was a little rebellious. And I wanted to be a rocker. And I listened to G&R all the time. You know, I, I listened to, uh, I love classic rock, Clapton and Zeppelin and all that. And that was my life. And I just wanted to be a rocker. But I didn't look like a rocker, so I had to work on it. So I decided to grow up my hair. It, I, looking back, I would have told you I never, one of the guys at the halfway house t- today asked me, Pastor, do you ever have a mullet? And I said, I wish I could tell you I didn't have a mullet. But looking back, I had a mullet. I had long hair and earrings in both ears and I had a, you know, the big hoops in them and, and things and that was, was kind of the style back in the day. And uh, I had these holy blue jeans I would wear all the time. And I'm not talking about the like the trendy kind of holy jeans. I'm just talking about like it looks like you found these in a garbage can. And I, I wore combat boots. Friends, I wore this to church. This only lasted for a little while. Thank the Lord. How in the world did I get my wife? If not for the grace of God, right? She saw something in me beyond those combat boots and holy jeans. But I remember this. My my parents really cared what people thought, especially at Central Baptist Church where I grew up. And my mom would say, Chris, you are not representing our family well by the clothes that you were wearing. Were you ever told that as a kid? And I said, Mom, why do you care? Friends, I have teenagers now and I get it. Connor, you're going to walk out of the house like that. Dylan, you're going to walk out of the house like that. My mom would say, Chris, that's not a good representation of our family. Well, if you're a Christian, as we've talked about several times, you and I, we represent the family of God. We are the family of God and we represent Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And so let me ask you a question, and I mean this metaphorically, not literally, though maybe we could talk literally as well. What does your attire say about you? And what I really mean is, is what are your, what, what does your attitude, your actions, your behavior, those are the clothes that are displayed for the world to see. What are your actions and thoughts and attitudes? What are those saying about Jesus? Paul makes it clear in Colossians chapter 3 that the church is supposed to take off certain things and to put on other traits, if you will. And so I want to give you quickly three ways in which we are to be very distinct from the world. Three ways in which the church is supposed to be distinct from the world. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Real followers of Jesus are to think differently. We are not to think like the world. Look again with me at verse one. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above. Did you catch that? Not on the things of this earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. A real follower of Jesus, hear me, should not be consumed with possessions, with politics, with material wealth, or his or her own agenda. Why? Because we have died with Christ. Our identity, friends, is in Jesus Christ now. Not in our own wants and desires Our minds should now be set on kingdom things. Are you with me? So I understand that we live in this world and I I know that we've got to give some thought and care to those things. But we should not be consumed with the world. We should not spend a lifetime acquiring possessions that are one day going to be burnt up someday anyways. Amen? Warren Worsby tells the story of two sisters who really enjoyed wild parties. And then after they found the new life in Christ, they received an invitation to another party. 
And they sent their RSVP back with these words, quote, we regret that we cannot attend because we recently died, end quote. Oh, church, how we need to take on this attitude. We shouldn't be so easily offended. We shouldn't be so worked up. We shouldn't think like the world thinks. Why? Because we have died with Christ. Here's a great news. In addition to that, by virtue of our relationship with Jesus, we have new life. We too have been raised with Jesus. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I want you to look at that verse for just a moment. Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, Jesus is not supposed to be a part of your life, friends. Beloved, he is supposed to be your life. He is supposed to be my life. We're not to be Sunday Christians. Put him on when we want. Take him off when we want. No, we have died to self. We're made alive in Christ. And He is, if we are truly Christians, He is our life. What a promise. What a promise. Let me ask you this. How many of you all have vacations planned this summer? We have several people out on vacation today. But how many many have plans to attend vacation this summer somewhere? Somewhere warm, I hope, after all this cold weather. Do you ever just close your eyes and daydream about being at the beach? Like when it's been, we've had a gloomy, like February and March. Bud and Jan King brought me back this little piece of heaven here from Honduras. Sand and seashells. I actually think this was apology for not taking me with them. But um, they brought me back from their cruise, this sand and seashells. And so sometimes during the gloomy, well, I keep this in my office and I love the beach. All right. And sometimes when I would be so gloomy and gray outside and I would start to feel a little despondent, I just hold this little thing in my hand and just pretend I was at the beach. Right. I, I, I love looking at this and it's a reminder that someday, Hey, I'm going back to the beach. All right. Forget this gloomy weather. But you know what? When we are ultimately as Christians, we're going somewhere so much better than the beach friends we are going to a place that is perfection we are going to a place where there is no more tears no more pain uh no more hunger no more uh no no more division we're going to a place where we get to spend eternity with our savior we get a foretaste now of the goodness of god but there's coming a day friend where we know we will know him in his fullness for all of eternity we will get to enjoy god completely for all of eternity and you and i ought to be focused on that day. We don't talk enough about heaven. We don't think enough about heaven. We get so consumed with the same thing the world is consumed with. This life. And friends, this is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Are you with me? We need to be heavenly minded. Christians should think differently. Number two, real followers of Jesus are not only to think differently. But we are to act differently. We're to act differently. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now watch this. In these, you too once walked. Notice the past tense. You once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let me ask you this. When you were young, did your mom or dad have to tell you when you would put on new clothes to change your socks and undergarments? Or do you have to tell your kids that? You're like, yeah, my kids are 25 and I still have to tell them that. Because it doesn't do any good, as you know, to put on clean outer clothes if the clothes underneath 
are dirty and smelly and have a stench. And you know, that's what so many Christians want to do. They want to keep that old garment of the flesh. Their own dreams, their own um, desires, their own sins. Their old way of life and old way of thinking. They want to hang on to those and yet over top of them put on the garments of Christ. But it doesn't work like that. Paul tells us we're to take off the old and put on the new. You've got to put to death, Paul says, some things. And that's, we can say, removing those old garments. And then we've got to clothe ourselves with these new virtues. And I love this. By God's grace, Paul gets very, very practical here. He doesn't leave this kind of out in the open. He doesn't make this ambiguous as to what sin is. This is not an exhaustive list of sin. But we see a list of behaviors that we are to put off. Okay, and and we can group these several different ways. I'm going to group them into two categories. You can write this down. Number one, sensual sins and number two, social sins. I'm going to begin here with sensual sins because it is tough in this culture to live a pure life, isn't it? You don't have to go to a strip club to be lustful. All you have to do is drive down the street and see what half the women are wearing and sometimes men. Right. Get that image out of your mind. Right. Sexual promiscuity. Listen to me, is not only tolerated, it is actually celebrated in our culture today. But we cannot be like the world on this issue. The first four sins that Paul lists have to do in this context with sexual sin. He said he begins by just listing sexual immorality, which really covers any type of sexual sin. This is any sexual relationship outside of marriage. Listen to me. Even if you're getting married, you're not married yet. Run from sexual immorality. God gave us sexuality. You know, sex is a gift. It's not dirty. It's not gross. It's a gift out of the good wisdom and pleasure of God. But it's meant to be enjoyed one way. Between one man and one woman in marriage forever. That's it. And within that, it is a beautiful thing. It is something to be celebrated. But have you ever had a, you know, given a gift to a child and they've like a really nice gift and like a young child and they take it out of the wrapping paper and they just start beating it. And you're like, no, 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 that's not what it's for. It's going to break. That's what we've done with the gift. Hear me, the gift of sexuality. We have taken it and we have perverted it and we have twisted it and used it for things that God never meant it to be used for. It's a slap in the face to him and it's a stench in the nostrils of God and the church must run from it. So that's any kind of sexuality outside of a marriage relationship. And then he lists impurity, which is in context lustful thinking. So it's not just the acts, it's the lusting as well. And this would include pornography or anything else like that. And then passion, he says, and is used here again. This would be a state of mind that excites impurity. Stay away from those things that would excite impurity. And then Paul moves on to evil desires. Okay, desires. So again, it's not just actions, but it is What we think on, what we long for that matters as well. Evil thoughts result in evil deeds. And even if they didn't, it is a sin to dwell on those evil things. Belief always impacts behavior. So we have to cut off sexual sin and all sin at the desire level. All right? So... Let me just make a quick argument here for just delighting yourself in the Lord. If you struggle with this sin or any sin, you don't you don't fight this at the behavioral level. All right. You don't just wait till you're in the midst of this and just try to quit. You fight it at the desire level. And this is where John Piper has so helped me. This changed my Christian life. I was so frustrated because I couldn't quit this sin or I couldn't quit this sin because I was trying to do it just out of willpower and deny my flesh. But I had to fight it at a desire level. 
I had to learn to fight it at the desire level. And here's what the scripture instructs us to do. Delight yourself in the Lord. So you fight this at the desire level. You learn to long from the word of God. You learn to long for the presence of God. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you're happy in God, you don't need to be happy in anything else. You don't need a vice or a sin or anything else to make you happy because Jesus is enough. So fight this thing at the desire level. Isaiah 520, let me give you one more verse here. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Sexual sin, listen to me, though celebrated by our culture, is something that the church must put to death. And in many circles, it's not happening. May we... As the people of Real Life Community Church flee from this sin and all sin. And then Paul moves on to social sins. I'll move quickly through these. He talks about covetousness. Which is this the sin of always wanting more. It includes wanting and desiring what other people have. It also includes looking out for number one. Which is one of the great sins of America today. I don't care what this does to you. I just want what I want. This is very, very prevalent in the church. I want you to sing my song. I want you to preach like I want you to preach. I want the service structure to go like I want it to. I want the kids ministry to be like I want it. I want the youth ministry to be like I want it. As long as it's biblical, we should lay aside our preferences. Not make it all about us. When you are a coveting person, you will run over anyone who stands on your way when you don't like something. You'll pout. You'll throw a fit. You know the problem with coveting? When you covet, here's what you're really saying. Jesus, you're not enough. It's the sin of insatiability. Great sin of America. Philippians 3.12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and even, watch what he says, hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's he saying? Christ is sufficient even in hunger. Christ is enough. Then we move on from this covetousness to anger. And this is not a righteous anger, but it's someone who's just mad about something all the time. Do you know anybody like that? Just always upset in a tiff about something. We should be friends, people of joy and patience. It ought to take so much to anger us. When we are people who are always frustrated and angry, we are not wearing the clothing that speaks well of our Lord and Savior, who has been so immensely patient with us. The Bible says he has not dealt with us according to our sins. And then we move from anger to wrath. And this is just extreme anger. I was preaching this morning at the halfway house and I said this. And one of the guys that was there looked over to the next guy like this. Called him out. So if you want to do that, feel free this morning. We are to leave, listen, vengeance to God. We don't retaliate when we've been wronged. We don't try to get revenge. So we've got to put off anger and wrath and then malice. This is just an ill will towards people. Do you know anybody like that? I don't know how a Christian could be like that, but I see it in the church all the time. They don't want people to succeed. They don't want that. They always think the worst in people. Somebody wants to do something. They, they question their motives. All these things all the time. It's exhausting. Help me, somebody. Then we move on to slander. This is just speech in any way. That tears others down. Listen to me real life for a moment. This is often called venting. That's spiritualizing a sin. Well, he just really needed to get it off his heart. Yeah. And that was a sin. If you have a problem with someone and I'm preaching to myself because we all fall into this trap. Go to them. Don't share it with friends, co-workers, your prayer partner. Uh, go to that person. This is one of the great sins that destroys churches. It's one of the gr- devil's greatest weapons. 
Well, I just really need to share with you. I just felt so offended. And no, 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 no. If somebody shares that with you from this church, cut them. No, I'm just joking. Don't cut them. But, but call them out and say, we're not going to do this. I'll get so-and-so on the phone right now and we'll talk to them. Don't be loving enough. And this is difficult. I have a hard time doing it. Be loving enough to tell people the truth when they're doing this. Because in that moment, they're, they're a puppet for the enemy. This is how the devil gets in so many churches. This is, this causes splits. And I don't even know if it's the devil all the time. I don't think he has to help people. We just like to talk. We love to spread information. We like people to feel sorry for us. We like people to have pity on us because life is simply about us. That's what we've been taught. We have to remember, go back to the beginning of this. We have died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our life is hidden with him. And then we move on to more speech, obscene talk. He uses this. Now, in Ephesians, we know we're told not to curse. And that curse there is not a saying a foul word. But it is a, it's the opposite of blessing someone. You know, it's like leaving instead of saying, hey man, have a great day. Saying, hey, I hope you die. That's not a good thing. We shouldn't do that, just for the record. That's what a cursing is. Speaking negative words towards people. But this, in this, Paul calls out obscene talk. And this would include coarse joking, foul language. Church, we need to stay clear of this. And then we move on to lying. Lying is not a small fr- uh, small sin. It's a big deal. And we must be completely truthful in all situations. And here's what's interesting. I've said this before. I'll just spend a minute here. We tend to make a big deal out of the sexual sins, and we should. But we coddle these sins. These are like okay sins. Like, it's not so bad. I mean, if if, if your prayer partner was sharing with you that they were having, you know, an affair or they were out in some kind of sexual sin or whatever, you would be really honest with them, I hope, and say, this is wrong. But when they gossip or they tell an off-color joke or whatever, you kind of laugh awkwardly and coddle them a little bit. That's okay. You're convicted. You know that you probably should say something, but it's just tough, isn't it? Here's what you need to know. This, these sins are just as serious as all the other sins, we it's sin. It breaks the heart of God. It puts us out of fellowship with God. And these people become miserable. So here's what I'm asking you to do. And I'm preaching to myself. Love people enough to go to them. And then love people enough in this church that when they gossip or when they are tearing somebody else down, even if you feel like they're justified in doing so, they're not. Cut it off. Cut it off. So we can keep unity in this church. We need to hold one another accountable. I've asked my staff, if I start moving into this, I've even heard myself explain myself. Well, you know, I, I really wouldn't say this to anybody else, but I need to tell you because, you know, we need to be on the same page as pastors or, you know, like Bob and I is, you know, he's our executive director. And, and then I'll, I'll think when I leave, no, Jesus doesn't give exceptions when he says, go to that person. Friends, I'm guilty of this too. hear me. I'm guilty of this too. Help us, Lord. Amen. Let's hold one another accountable. So we need to take off these and many other sins that the New Testament talks about. That's taking off those clothes of unrighteousness. And then here's the positive side. We put on new garments and new attitudes, new actions. Real followers of Jesus are called, number three, to love differently. Think differently, behave differently, love differently. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. I love that. I learned something this weekend at, at, at our conference. When I often talk about being adopted as sons and daughters of God, I, I think of the poor little old person who... You know, who, who is just abandoned and, and, you know, out of grace, you, and we have several families who are, who, who do this and it's awesome. And you, you take in someone who had no chance, but I was told in, in, by someone I really, really respect and, and knows his stuff on this ancient culture and said that in this day, 
that people didn't adopt children in that way. It wasn't, oh, you don't have a mother or father. I'm going to take you into my house and provide for you. You know why they adopted children? Because they weren't happy with their son and they wanted an heir. So they would bring, they would handpick somebody and put them in their family. Now, I'm not suggesting that God has adopted us into his family because of merit in us. I just want you to know that you should feel good that you're part of the family of God. And you have been chosen now as someone who has believed in Jesus Christ to wear his robe, to wear his garments of righteousness. What a gift. What a gift. You know, I remember I have good friends in Colorado who adopted a little boy and it was so cool. He, he went from wearing these just ragged clothes to getting a really awesome wardrobe. This little boy, it's just awesome to see him come in with, you know, new shoes and, and his, his, his real mother would often buy drugs instead of, instead of clothes or food or whatever. And this is why he was released from his family. But it's just awesome now. And I, I see the Barlows back here, just awesome testimonies to God's grace. And they have five million kids now that they've brought in and, uh, they, uh, and, and they're feeding them and clothing. It's awesome. And friends, we get to be brought in and we get, we are invited by God's spirit to take off the filthy rags that we've worn and we get the new clothes of righteousness. Why would we not want this? What a privilege. What a privilege. So we're to put on these clothes and he gets again very specific. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Oh, we ought to be a people of compassion. We should care about social justice. We could, we should care about the hungry and the marginalized and not just look out for ourselves. Jesus was constantly moved with compassion. You and I need to be moved with compassion. And then he lists kindness here. At the conference we were at, 12,000 pastors at this conference. Awesome. And on, on the way out, we were at the Yum Center in, uh, in Louisville. And on the way out, my uncle was there with me. And one of the workers of that facility turned to him and said this, I wish we could serve more people like you all. And I thought, wow, what a testimony. We were there from Wednesday through Friday, early morning, late night. And they said, oh, this has been such a great experience for us, the workers. But that's not always the testimony. I've had waiters and waitresses tell me we dread Sundays after church because Christians or church folk, they say, are the meanest and they leave the worst tips. Okay, if you're going to go out today, leave somebody at least 20 percent. Or more. All right. Be kind to them. Well, they gave me bad service. Well, Jesus loved you anyways, and you've messed up a few times. What an opportunity to bless someone. Amen. Show them the love of Christ. So we're to be kind. And then we're to walk in humility. We're to put on humility. Let me just say this. We, we all understand humility, I think. This keeps us in check with what I'm preaching. We are not to walk around on some moral high horse looking at the world with our noses in the air. Jesus rolled his sleeves up and got right in. With the tax collector and wine bibbers. So much so he was called what they were. We need to be in the world. And we need to act. You know, when I went this morning to the halfway house. I, I don't go in there acting like, oh, I am some holy. And you're less than me. No. I tell them, if not for the grace of God. I am who I am by the grace of God. Apart from Christ. I'm nothing. I'd be in the same situation. And I was before Christ in the same situation. I might not have been exactly where you are, but I struggle with sin. So we don't walk around in this braggadocious sense acting like we're somebody. You know, I, we've got to be careful of that. Let me move on. Then meekness. Meekness is simply power under control. And then he says we're to be patient, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint, forgive one another as the Lord's forgiven you. Listen. As a pastor today, I'm scared to death to call anybody out on anything or say something that someone may disagree with. I do it because people aren't patient. They'll go find another church as quick as they'll change their pair of socks. They'll find another church. There's plenty to choose from. It's tough. 
we've got to be patient with one another. And when we do stumble, when we have disagreements, it's okay. It's okay. Just like a family, husband and wife, when you have a disagreement, you don't walk out. You shouldn't. That happens too much today. No, you work it out. You stay. We need to have patience and we need to forgive one another. And above all these, Paul writes, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Oh, church, put on gratitude today. Instead of complaining and grumbling about what you don't like. I mean, I I love Christy getting up here today and going, hey, there's good things. God is doing good things in the church. We need to be reminded of that because we are negative people sometimes. I don't mean just this church. I just mean in general. The glass is always half empty. You can like nine million things about this church and one thing be off and you just stand here like this. I'm not singing. I'm not taking notes today. Pastor Chris wore a t-shirt under his suit jacket and I just don't think that's Christian. Right? Help me. Am I, am I lying? We got to be a thankful people. I just, at this conference this week, I mean, I just, singing with 12,000 men was awesome, surreal. And I just, we, we sang all about the, the cross and, and, and the sacrifice of Christ. And I went in, I'll be honest, I went into this meeting despondent and frustrated with ministry um, and all of this stuff. And I just, as I sang and and considered and heard the word in 10 sessions, about an hour apiece, hearing constant preaching, I thought, what in the world do I have to complain about? Jesus is on the throne. Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God. He's worthy to be praised. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So here's the positive. Take out the gossip, the slander, the obscene talk and begin speaking the word of God. Let's talk about the word of God instead of what we disagree politically about. Let's speak the word of God instead of uh, putting each other down. Let's talk about what we agree on. That Jesus came. That he lived a sinless life. That he dies and died. And that he is risen today at the right hand of the Father. And that now he is coming again. That ought to fill our conversation. Here's the really good news. These attributes. These clothes that you're supposed to put on. You can live this way. If you are in Christ, you can live this way. Because because of the gospel, we have a great freedom over sin. This is such great news. Listen, it is a miserable life to live any other way. To be out of fellowship with God. That's what sin causes. Great news. You do not have to be. Give you one closing story and I'm done. When I was young, we would often have family and friends over um, from time to time for dinner. My my, my mom's a little persnickety and uh, she uh, she was really concerned with the way my brother and I were dressed and more importantly our manners. So uh, this probably happened to some of you. I, I would have to change my outfit, get my little hair comb. That's why I'm so particular about my hair today. Got to be all fixed and ready. I take longer to get ready in the mornings than my wife does. Only because she doesn't need to take long. She's perfect when she wakes up. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. She's not even in here. Somebody tell her I said that, please. So my mom, she would make sure we're changed. And right before company would come, she would sit us down. And you know what she had as her weapon? Anybody want to guess? The wooden spoon, you know. You had the, yeah. How many had the wooden spoon growing up? Yeah, so my mom would take the wooden spoon and she said, y'all better be on your best behavior. Or you will get the wooden spoon. And my brother and I would look at each other and say, Anything but the wooden spoon. I love it. She would threaten us. And so my brother and I, we, we, you know, we got the talk and we would, we would do whatever we could to act a certain way to prepare for our company. And listen to me. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus is coming back. And I'm not threatening you with a wooden spoon today. All right. But I do want to ask you this. What clothes will he find you wearing?
he knows now everything. And there's no hiding from God. You understand this. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows all things. He's everywhere and he's all powerful. He's omnipotent. How's he seeing you today? I don't think he's much concerned that I, whether I'm wearing a t-shirt or a jacket or a button down shirt. As he is that I'm compassionate and caring and loving and humble and that I put off sin. I'll just be honest with you. I've had to do some repenting this week for some of my own attitudes and actions. I laid before the Lord. Not above this. You understand this. I'm not above this. And I'm calling you to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life today. We're going to sing one song in just a moment. And I want to ask you, repent. Repent. Lord, what is it? Make sure that you're representing Christ well. And if you don't know Jesus before you leave today, talk to me. If you need prayer for anything, Ben's going to close us in prayer in just a moment. And then he and Dina will be up here. And uh, if we need some of our other prayer partners as I lead us in a song. If you need prayer for anything, we're not going to carry it on long, but um, we're going to sing. All right. Stand to your feet. Pastor Ben. Can I pray for you today? Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this word, which, which brings us to the place where we realize how different we're supposed to be. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come into our hearts and show us those, those areas, those places where we don't look like you, like you want us to look like you. And so, Father, help us to love like you love. Help us to, to act the way you want us to act. Help us to, to think the way you want us to think. For God, you've called us out of darkness and death and into marvelous light, into abundant life. And abundant life starts... When those things change in us and we become more and more like you. And so God, as we come before you this day, take that word that is implanted in our hearts. May it change us forevermore for the better. May we, as your people, be different from the world and yet love the world like you would love them. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us, that you have called us from sin into marvelous light, into life. And God, thank you for giving us a means to change those things. Help us to do it. Help us to to be more and more like you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.